Ladies and gentlemen, we are live from the Big Barely Comedy Club, coming to you from the podcast studio in a shipping container. Please welcome your host of Menace to Sobriety, <laughs> Mr. Daniel O'Reilly. Hello and welcome to another episode of Menace to Sobriety, your go-to podcast for all things sobriety, well-being, mental health, mindset, all that jazz. Each week we get uh, a variety of people on here, all with inspiring stories to keep you on the straight and narrow or to inspire you to get on the straight and narrow and better yourself. And this week I truly am excited. Could be the best guest yet. I'm going to put it out there. Uh... One of the directing founders, founding directors of SAS Who Dares Win from Channel 4, Ollie Ollerton. Ollie Ollerton? Ollie Ollerton. That Ollie was a Ollerton. bit summer, uh, <laughs> Ollie Ollerton. How you doing, mate? Good to meet you, mate. Oh, my pleasure. God, I'm buzzing for this. Yeah, likewise. I'm so likewise. exciting. Yeah. It's, it's like uh, we said, it's like I feel like I already know you. Um, yeah. You know, our paths haven't like officially like no. sort of collided. Yeah. But um, very tuned into your journey. Uh, watch you, obviously, like everyone else uh, in the country on SAS Who Dares Wins. Um, there's so much more to your bio, like it's. Yeah. Um, but we'll get into that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I've I've done I've done content around you as well. Really? I've done, yeah, <laughs> I've, I've seen done, it, mate. Yeah, yeah, yeah it, was, I, it was mate. That that tickled me. Yeah. The, uh, what was but the last Hancock. one? Hancock. Hancock, <laughs> Matt Hancock. Yeah, you mate, was in that clip. Yeah, mate. It's a, no, I wasn't actually on that with Hancock. Oh right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, I stopped doing the UK one. Oh right. Yeah. Of course, you went to Australia. Uh, I got, I got yeah. cancelled, mate. Like you. Oh really? <laughs> Oh yes, yeah, yeah, I got with Ant. Well, did you get cancelled oh, before Ant? So when it was around that whole diversity piece and everything else, it wow. was like four white alpha males that you know, it right? It wasn't politically uh, correct. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? So I, it was a good thing for me because then the Australian one kicked off. Yeah, and it's ne it's never been my focus to be on TV. You know, it, it gives me exposure. It's a platform yeah. for me, but it's yeah. not my my focus. Yeah, you know what I mean. So I can only handle one filming slot a year yeah so the whole just uh, we won't spend too much time on it but the whole diversity thing it kind of like completely removes the point of the show like yeah. like the, the the whole whole point is it doesn't matter mm -hmm. who you are what you yeah. do you have your ability and mm -hmm. mindset has to get you through right yeah 100 percent. and this is the thing you know when it when it did happen that i got offloaded from that um that program it was like i did go you know it's on is in the sun and it was you know mm. in the interview and i said on there it's like I'm not racist one bit, you know, but when it comes to like building a team, it doesn't matter what race, what color, what gender you are. Yeah. Can the person do the job? And that that's the thing around it. You know what I mean? So it was just like, mm. to me, it was, and also what really puzzled me at the time was, you know, the stuff around mental health. This was just as we were going through COVID and everything else. Yeah. And then bang, you just offload someone like that because it's not politically correct. I mean, mm. I recovered from that because I was, I was happy to get going, but it was, it was a blow to me. I tell you what, the only thing that affected me, to be quite honest, it was my ego that was challenged. Yeah. You know what I mean? As far as it, yeah. logistically for me, um, doing the show, it was it was better for me because I almost laughed when it happened because I tell you, when it got to it, when it got to the final sort of eps of that series, I was getting to the point where I wasn't enjoying it, I was enduring it. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what yeah. I mean? But I was never going to hand in my notice and go, you know what, I've had enough. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? These are the things that hold us back, you know, yeah. because I was on that TV show and everything else. So when I actually got a phone call, I was like, I just laughed to myself and went, you got what you wish for. Yeah, and that's yeah. how the universe works. That the fact of the matter is, they wanted to, you know, and, and oh right, yeah. they swapped you. For they swapped me for another guy. So to to tick a diversity box, exactly. Mad. Yeah. 
It's it, yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, look, it's man. We we see you see it in the Christmas adverts. You see it everywhere yeah, now. Yeah. It blo- it blows my mind. I mean, the, the the there was a big Christmas advert that it was everything was anti Christmas. Like yeah. they, got, they were getting rid of everything, and you know they made sure that they had the gay person, the da 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 da, you know the trans person, da, and then. They was like, I was like, where's the fucking kids in the Christmas presents? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It's mad, but look, such is the world we live such in now. Such is the world. Is I think as long as you're aware of it and you just, you know, yeah, yeah, you can smile at it and just go whatever. But um, from a mental health perspective, uh, it's interesting that you mentioned ego before mm. we get into things because I've been battling mine recently and I, I, con- I constantly, I've been reading a book about ego and I constantly, um, the only thing I've, I find difficult with being in the public eye mm. is dealing with criticism from like trolls and people, you know, yeah. and I used to take it so personally. I used to be like, well, you don't know me and don't say mm. that about me and that's yeah. really mean and fucking how dare you. But then I realised it's just like, because I want to punch them in the face yeah. and I can't. It's like, <laughs> it's like your ego. It's your digital punch in the face. Yeah, yeah. Your, your ego wants to punch yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, I'm like, and then I realize it's because sometimes if you believe your own hype too yeah. much like you put yourself on a pedestal mm. where you actually you think i'm this great person yeah. you can't talk to me like that when really yeah. we're all the same and it's just some knobhead that's having a bad day it's 100 percent. but the thing is it's like this is the way that you know i've gone a lot in, especially when we'll talk about that when i went into this house and i really mm. started to delve deep into how the operate operating system works yeah which was incremental in me uh, or fundamental in me actually um, getting on, on top of my, men- my mental health and my, mm. my, my drinking and stuff. Mm. And really, at the end of the day, we're always fo- focused on what could go wrong. We're always focused on the negative. And this spans back to our most that our first footsteps on this earth we're never going to remember all the nice fruits we had to eat we're always going to remember the one bad berry that made us ill and could have killed us because we have to because we have to and that's the way that the bright so it's like the other week i mean i put a post on it was about no a couple of months ago my new book came out how to survive almost anything i was on there doing a thing i had my shorts on and i'm like doing this and i'm getting loads of great comments and everyone's going oh the book, i've had the book it's great this and i'm going yeah yeah this is great get down the bottom and someone goes have you skipped leg day? <laughs> Just ruined <laughs> your day. Like, ah! yeah, 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 yeah. Like, you know what I mean? For the next 24 hours, I'm like, yeah, going, oh, I'm going to say to it. You know, and it's like, that's the way that we're wired. We're wired to focus on the negative shit yeah. and then forget all the good things that have happened. That's just yeah. the way we're wired. It's, it's, it's just, we are, fo- we are wired to focus on all the negative. Because when it comes to a survival um, aspect, we've got to look out for all the things that are going to threaten us. You know, yeah. so that's the way we wired. That completely makes sense. And we 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 kind of just touched on when I came in that I, I boxed at the weekend. Obviously York Hall. Yeah. Uh, you boxed there as well, did you? I did, mate. I kissed the deck. What was that on? <laughs> what was that on? That was on. Um, we did. I think how many years? That was a few years ago, and it was on. Um, it was like I forget the net. It was special forces like mm. SAS. Uh, SBS and it was challenging the US Navy SEALs and stuff like that. Right. So basically it's supposed to be for novices mm. and you know I I then realized that when I got to York Hall that I was I was fighting a professional MMA fighter. That's not fair. No, it's not. It's like and but for me it's like I got there and you know I was talking about this the other day, you know I got there and there was a lot of people supporting me. I'd raised a lot of money and everything else and one side of me said you know, you could just pull out of this. You're gonna, you're gonna get yeah. knocked. You're probably gonna get knocked out. You, could, you should pull out. You're gonna look stupid. But then I thought, you know what? There's a lot of people here for me. I'm gonna stare yeah. this bloke in the eyes and I'm gonna do my best. That's and brilliant. I, and I went up there and you know, by the time I actually went to, nose to nose with this guy, my job was everything I wanted to achieve had been achieved. Yeah, you walked in the ring. Yeah, I yeah. walked in the ring, and it's as you know, Dan. It's mm. like that. The build up to the fight. It's the journey. It's not once yeah. you get there, and you know, it's it's the journey that's yeah. that's, that's where the growth is and everything else. So for me, you know, when I did. 
stare him in the eyes and I fucking gave it my best. You yeah, know what I mean, it. I got it, and it was it was I got mm. some great pictures in mm. that one and a half minutes. That's so life. Fucking yeah, all, I, I got everything I needed, mate. <laughs> well, you lasted one and a half minutes. That's all right. That's good, yeah. man. I mean, I, I was the same with my MMA fight. I was like, I I, I fought Harvey from So Solid Crew, and um, yeah. he he beat me up quick, and um, but after it was over, I was like, yeah, man. yeah, I was yeah, like, yeah. I was yeah. like, fucking, I've done yeah. something that 99% of people yeah. will never do. I wouldn't have the bottle to do. But what I wanted to talk to you about was, you know, the for going back to what you were saying mm. is I trained really hard. I've been training hard yeah. for a long time. I'm really confident in my ability as a boxer. Um, I knew that the, the other guy was actually the underdog that I was fighting. He was older mm. than me and I didn't think that he had uh, as, as much ability. So really, it, I should have been like, you know, it's going to be, it's going to, not a walk in a park, you know, you've got to be yeah. careful when you're boxing. Yeah. But, you know, I should have been confident, but I managed to hold that confidence right up until mm. the, the day of it. And then when the nerves set in, the mind just went to what if, what if, yeah, what yeah. if, what if, what if. And uh, that's why I've got so much respect for uh, people in the armed forces, mm. people um, that are in these really dodgy situations or boxers or any combat sports people. You can, you you perform completely different depending yeah. on your mindset. Mm. So I knew that if I walked in with that really bad mindset, I knew that I had work to do to, to get yeah. my mindset correct yeah. for the walk in. You know, I needed mm. to be fired up and confident. Yeah. But I had to do a lot of soul searching and working it out and stuff like that. Uh, to twist it how how big a part of that is that with your job and, and what you've done do you think yeah previous job I, th I think the big thing is like we as humans again and I go into this human psychology thing and you know uh, you know I, I studied a lot about the evolution of where we came from right you know and, and the patterns and the behaviours that have been created and passed down through the ages like the biology behind it yeah the biology because it was like when I when I, I talk about when I went into this house 2015 I came back to the UK right and I was like broken I'd, I'd come back on the brink of suicide and I was like, you know, I've been drinking to, to destruction. Where like, where were you when you come? So basically, you know, it's like I'd been, I'd actually moved to Australia. So I came out of the military, 2000. I then <clears throat> said I was never going to go back to a war zone. I ended up back in a war zone as a, as a mercenary, a contractor. Right. So I did that for, for four years. And then I actually had moved to Australia in that time uh, with my girlfriend who was Australian, and then I moved out to Southeast Asia. I did the most incredible thing I've ever done. Because for me, when I went in the Special Forces, it didn't, it didn't click. Do you know what I mean? I don't hear many people saying this, that I actually got through to the Special Forces, that I got there and I went, this ain't for me. You know, this That's is crazy. Yeah, because since 14, I was like, I'm, I'm going to join the military. This is going to be it. I'm going to join the Royal Marines. And that was a dream for me. You know what I mean? As a 14-year-old boy, I was like, fucking hell, you imagine if I got in the Special Forces. And 14 years, no, 10 years old, I saw the, the Iranian embassy attacked by the SAS. And that's where this, the seed was sown in me. You said, I want to be them guys. I want to like, be that guy. Like, Holy fuck. You know what I mean? It was amazing. I was like, I want to be that. Um, but that's so I finally got through to that. But when I finally got through and passed selection and everything else, you know, I was one of, I think it was seven out of, of about 250 that got through in, in a six month process. And it was the second time I did it. So I had to do it twice. I had a little mishap on the first one, which was interesting. What was that? Well, <laughs> go on. Why did I lead into that? <laughs> Have you not spoken about it before? Yeah, no, I do. I, yeah. I do, but it's, it, you know what I mean? With all of my stuff, Dan, fucking hell, it'll be over in an hour. It'll be like, it'll be yeah. like that. That'll be one story. But yeah. anyway, I'll, I'll, I'll cut it short. But um, uh, basically, I did special forces selection all the way through. You do the final part, and it's. Um, 
it's the escape and evasion. So they're simulating you getting caught behind enemy lines and they make it extremely real. Right. You know okay. I mean? So for five days, you're actually on the run. You've been given World War One fatigues, you know, hairy mm. World War One fatigues, your boots with no socks. It's the middle of winter and you've got to go about 100 k's. Um, and this is across Wales and you sleep in the day. You're supposed to sleep in the day, but you can't because you're that fucking freezing cold. You've got no food in you. And then you sleep at night. And then every 24 hours, you've got to meet an agent who gives you the next location. He gives you a mouldy piece, of, a mouldy sandwich with a piece of mouldy cheese in, that you've got to share between six people. And you get that every 24 hours. Um, so you've got to make your way all the way through. And basically, there's three rules. No civilian contact, no vehicles, and no buildings. Now, everyone, I'm not going to say cheat, uses their initiative. Right, okay. You know what I mean? Because at the end of the day, that's one... Anyway, I'm not going to make excuses for that, but the fact of the matter is, at the end of the day, the reason the Special Forces are so good at what they do is because they make it work whatever. They get yeah. the job done whatever. So anyway, to me, it's using initiative and everyone does it. Mm. But the thing is, you just don't... You can't get caught for it because there's, there's rules. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. So anyway, we went to... We ended up like, oh, we're going to... Day one, when you're all warm and nice, not too bad, you know what I mean? You're like, we're going to follow up the rules, it. mate. You know what I mean? We're not going to... We're not going to cheat. And then as soon as you get cold, you're like, ah, fuck it, where's the barn? (laughs) (laughs) So next thing, we're in a barn, we're that freezing cold, mate. It was like perverted. It was like there was, I can remember we were working in twos and we had each other's boots off with their feet under our armpits trying to warm each other's feet up with that cold. So we're in this barn and next thing we're like, shall we knock on the door? Because the, the great thing is, right, about this selection process, like the SAS beforehand, they with the local community, they get everyone in and like, right, they throw a big party, get the locals all pissed, and they put a big screen up and saying, if you see anyone like this coming round your, your, your farms and stuff, here's the emergency number, callers will come get them. All right. Now, the Welsh being the Welsh, they do exactly the opposite. They're the resistance. <laughs> oh, really? So they go into the shops the week before, they pull everything off the shelves, they get the house fully stocked up, and they're waiting for the little knock on the door yeah. to open the door, get the lads in and feed them. So anyway, we ended up knocking on the door and it was almost like they were expecting us. And they had actually, they'd sensed we were in the barn. You know what I mean? So anyway, we went into this house. Fucking hell. It was like you could smell the roast on. You know what I mean? She had two different roasts on, the big open fire. And it was just like heaven. Absolute heaven. So we stayed there for a little bit. Um, and then we said, we're not getting in the car. Whatever we do, we're not getting in the car. We'll do this. But the time was creeping up. And anyway, Glenn, the farmer, came back from the pub. Absolutely shit-faced like fell through the door and he's like lads lads i'm gonna take you to the next checkpoint don't worry and we're like oh, you ain't taking this fucking anywhere mate you're shy and um he was like no no i'm not driving i'll get my handyman to drive anyway cut long story short said we're not getting in the van two minutes later we're in the van <laughs> on our way to the next rv it's pitch black in the middle of wales and um we get to the next rv we're on this uh this hill like this we're like let us out there's helicopters flying around there's fucking dogs out there everything you know we're like get us out quick we're trying to get out the back doors of this van. They wouldn't open. And we're like, Glenn, help us. He's like, I'll get you out, lads. Don't worry. Anyway, we heard the door open. Next thing we hear. And we're like, fuck, what's that? One of the lads kicked the door open. We get into the woods. We get off. And we're like, thank fuck for that. Anyway, we then make our way the next morning or the, that night to the next yeah. RV to meet the, to get the, to the, to the uh, coordinates and the little sandwich. And um, <laughs> fucking yeah. excited. After we got a belly full of yeah, roast yeah. pork and everything like that. Oh, do you, do you want the sandwich, lads? Nah. And we're like, nah. oh, yeah, yeah, of course we do. We're so hungry. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> so anyway, but we went to the RV this time and it was the DS, like the directing staff on the course. And they were like, come with us. And we're like, shit. And they took us off individual field interrogations. Like, where you been then? 
And we're like, oh, yeah, you know, doing the old interrogate. I mean, doing the old uh, um, escape and evasion stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's been yeah. really tough. And they're like, no, oh, so you don't know Glenn. You don't, they named the cat, the dog, the Shit. fucking cows, everything. You know what I mean? The wife, everything. They were like, you don't know them. And we were like, oh, okay, we better put, they said, you better tell us the fucking truth. Otherwise, you know, there's going to be consequences. And we told the truth and there was fucking consequences. <laughs> and it no. was like, you're off the course, you're gone. What? Yeah, yeah. So this is two days to being badged. And like the first time around, you know, you're in like minimal. Like how, how long's the course? Six that months. Fuck. So uh, there's all your prep and up until that point as well. So the six months of the course then, and this is the final stage of the course. So you are like, by that time, they've got your names on the lockers in the special forces. You know what I mean? You're done. You're pretty much done. There's rarely that people get to that point and then fail that stage. How did that affect you? Was it bad? Yeah, it's bad. But before I go on to that, what that, let me tell you. Oh, yeah, yeah. Let me How tell you about Glenn. No. Let me tell you about Glenn. Because what had happened is Glenn had fallen out the car and smashed his head on the floor. That was the slap. Oh, when you kicked the door open? No, no. Like? When he got out, we kicked the back doors open. He got out the, the passenger side. Yeah. And it was because it was on a slope. He fell he over slipped straight and smashed away. His yeah, he smashed his head. <laughs> So then he's in hospital. <laughs> <laughs> he's in hospital and uh, he calls the police in and says, I've been beat up by the SAS. What? He didn't know what happened? No. Well, either that or he's trying for a bit of comp. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. you wanker. So, so, yeah, it was like, because, of, yeah, and then we got. And like, then they were like, all right. Well, so they went, old Bill went to your guys and yeah, they went to our guys. They and, and what they'd done is they had patrol pictures. So we had the only black guy on the whole course we had the only black guy in our patrol so it was easy to pick out the patrol right. that it was so he's like that one oh, all of us binned back to our units and i had to make i had to go up there and going back to your question yeah that was the hardest thing for me you know what i mean it was like because i was at that point i was i was going to leave i was like i'm going to leave or or um special forces and then i did what the mind does it's like looking for the path of least resistance yeah and it starts to think when it's challenging you got something in front of you it's the same when you when you stop in drinking yeah it's like it's, it's, it's telling you you're going to fail because it do doesn't want you to step into that unknown territory. You know what I mean? So I then decided I was going to leave. But anyway, because I was given a bit of inspiration by my officer, I actually said, oh, I'll give special forces a go. One more go. Yeah. Mm. Or a go at the start. This is at the start of the first time. All oh, right. Okay. So I was either going to leave or special forces. Oh, so and I made the course. And you've done the six I'd months. I've done the six months. So then going back to my unit, I was like, I just wanted to go outside. I want to be a civilian. I thought this is like the universe telling me I need to go. Yeah. But because I'd been so close, do you know what I mean? I think when I look back now, I think it was my ego that didn't allow me to leave. It, it was like there was unfinished business. It was my ego that didn't want to look like a failure. So I went back yeah. and did it all again. And passed. And passed, yeah. Passed. And then I even got through to that at the end of that. And I just went, fucking hell, is this it? Yeah. It, it never really connected for me. And I, I look back at a lot of things and I think half the time you can make up a narrative that makes sense and whether that's right or wrong, mm. I don't know, but it's my perception of it. And that is the fact that I, you know, from an early age, I, I don't know if you know this, I got attacked by a chimp. Uh, yeah, really? I shouldn't laugh, sorry. but that No, you should laugh because oh, it's okay. fucking hilarious. Uh, I've just never had <laughs> anyone to say it. laugh and he's like, yeah, oh, really? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do you want to hold my hand, mate? Yeah, I'm like, <laughs> I've never heard that before. What did the chimp do to you? The chimp fucking nearly killed me at 10. No. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Rip me, ripping me to bits in the circus. So What the fuck? So you're at the circus with your family? No, I was at the circus with my brother and his best mate. And uh, they were just setting the place up. So I went into the circus and was, can we have a look around? They were like, yeah, no problem, lads. It was 1980, no help and safety you can walk around a fucking zoo with wild animals and um so we went into this and i got i sort of walked away from my brother and his best mate walked into this place i shouldn't have been and the baby chimp there in this open expanse around the back of the the uh the big top 
And um, mate, I started like engaging with it. I was I was like infatuated with Tarzan at that age as a kid. You know what I mean? It was like I'd watched it that day. So that to me was like a little piece of Hollywood. You know what I mean? It was yeah. it was amazing. Ten o'clock, ten, uh, ten years old. You're still such a little baby, don't you? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was a baby chimp. I wasn't much bigger than it. So I walked over to it. Next thing, it starts feeding me. You know what I mean? It's picking stuff off the floor, feeding me. I'm like, fuck me. I'm like this baby David Attenborough. Mm. It's an incredible experience. And then when you know I'm sliding the food down my, my cheek, throwing it over my shoulder. I'm not going to eat it. It's disgusting. And then this moment like lasted for lasted forever. It was timeless. It was so peaceful. Everything else. And then that peace was broken like a fighter jet cut through the skies i heard a roar i still remember to this day and in the shadows behind under a trailer was was mummy um that clearly saw me as a threat and just came at me in mac 10 um to to kill me basically and and i'm stood there like a, a deer in the headlights and i'm like i need to move in it and then before i had the chance to move out of there this thing pounced through the air 24 over the baby chimp Blue sky turned to black, landed on my chest, pinned me to the floor, and was just went mental. It was like it was like a drummer in a rock band, and I was the drum. And Wait, was it punching on you? Just like hammer fist down on onto my chest, pinned me to the floor. It was on top of me, and then next thing, all blood's flying around. Every stopped pulling skin like chunks off my arms and that, and there's blood flying around everywhere. And this is the moment I reflect on a lot because like that moment, I went somewhere that I never knew existed. You know, one side of me wanted to just lay there and do nothing and just accept what was happening. But there was another thing, I just heard a voice saying, it doesn't end today, you're not gonna die today. And that, I then tapped into something that gave me this inner potential, this inner strength I never knew existed, and that gave me enough courage to retaliate. And I managed to retaliate enough, get my knee up to my chest, I smashed out, smashed this chimp in its chest with my foot. A couple of seconds to get away, and then I realized I wasn't, I wasn't, wasn't moving fast enough. I saw the chimp get to its feet, it was even angrier now, blood on its teeth, came at me on its final attack. And it was an inch away from my face before the chain caught it. Fuck. Oh, oh mate. Fuck you. Yeah. Yeah. No. Which you my, got, my ex-wife was, wished the chain wasn't there, but I'm, oh I'm, I'm, glad it, I'm glad it was. That's like something out of a fucking movie, man. That's crazy, man. That's wild. That but that like, changed you, man. That must yeah, have yeah, changed you. I mean, for you. good and bad, right? I look at the good. I look at the value of it. The value for me was the fact I took a few things from that, and that was you didn't give up. I didn't give up, and the, tapping into that potential would then help me get through special forces selection twice, and then also bring me back from the brink of suicide mm. on my own, which I'd, I'd never advise anyone to try and do. But also the fact it taught me that regardless of any situation you're in, you always have a choice, which I think really for me, when I was thinking about suicide was something that really benefited me because suicide to me and thinking about, you know, I didn't attempt it, but I was, I was there and it's, that's bad enough in itself because if you think about something long enough, it expands. Mm. So for me, tapping into that, knowing that there was, you know, that I'm not going to be steered towards, you know, because I was talking about this last night, actually. That path of least resistance is the one thing that goes, you know what, suicide would be so much easier. It would, you know, it just alleviates everything. I stop being a burden to everyone. It just, see it. because that's the path you can see. Mm. The other path, like changing who you are as a person and stopping all these destructive behaviors and everything else, you can't see the path. No. You know what I mean? And that, that really, that experience as a 10 year old really helped me in that because I could, I knew that regardless of your situation, you have choices. Yeah, and that stuck with you. Yeah, yeah. But then the negative side of it, Dan, is the thing that, you know, there's three things that influence a subconscious mind. And that is like we are programmed between the ages of zero to seven. We were on constant record. You learn more in those years than you learn all of your life. So all of us as adults, we're walking around and 95% of that program is what, we, what was installed at zero to seven. Wow. Do you know what I mean? So 
The second thing is high emotional impact. Now, I was 10 years old, so this was a high emotional impact. So what happened, that's another thing that can affect the subconscious mind, which then reflects on your, your habits and behaviors. And then the third thing to change it is repetition, and, uh, sorry, practice and repeat. You know, if you repeat stuff long enough, then it, it changes your subconscious and your programming. But for me, that was the fact that that high emotional impact, and you imagine what I was doing like this. I've just come up with this recently, and I'm always studying stuff, mate, to try and make sense of the past to help me move forward in the future. And the fact of the matter is I was having the best day of my life. It was the fucking most incredible experience. I went down to the circus, saw my little Hollywood legend cheetah. You know what I mean? It was just, it was the best thing ever. And, and it was timeless and everything else. Then all of a sudden, absolute Bang. chaos. Yeah. Chaos. Now, when I look, I repeated that scenario through every aspect of my life. You, you looked for it in, the, in, the, in, in war. It looked for it. And this was the thing for me. I was searching for a war. Yeah. Right. And yeah, that's yeah. why I wanted the special forces, the military and everything. I was searching for this war. It wasn't until I crashed and burned years later that I realized the war was in. Yeah. Inside, yeah. Not not out there. That is so interesting. So like and I think addiction falls in that. that, yeah. that I, th I think like if you imagine like as traumatic as that mm. was. Yeah. There was there, you know, there must have after that, there must have come elements of light or elements of like escapism from that fear that you felt mm. you know that fear coming back to you trying to escape it maybe or even like that or even like even though it was horrific mm. like that feeling you got from it it's like it's so complex isn't it yeah an event like that like so for me the only thing i can compare it to is I, when i was younger i had quite a traumatic um upbringing a terrible uh divorce and you know it was quite mm. You know, horrible stuff happened, whatever. And I, I get the sense that when we're younger and, and tra traumatic stuff happens to us, we try and escape it, right, mm. in our mind. Yeah. And later on in life, when we find, like, alcohol mm. and we can escape life, yeah. we lean towards it for yeah. a similar feeling. Do you think that's right? I think that's 100% right. But I think, I think really when it comes to alcohol, and I'm not saying this is the same with everyone, we usually start on the alcohol journey because we're masking an emotion. Right. You know right. what I mean? So, so, so whether so, it's fear, guilt, shame, or going out meeting chicks. All right, you know okay. what I mean. So you're renting their personality as soon as you, you know, you when, yeah, yeah. when you first start drinking, you rent a personality. And I, I, yeah. like I was saying to you before, Dan, I think there's for for the likes of yourself, hmm. when people are so um, sold into the identity of who you are, hmm. and that for you before you became sober was like this Fuck drinking it. one of the lads, yeah, da, da, yeah. you know, whatever pure lad culture, exactly. Yeah. And for you to like break the chain of that because that becomes your identity. Mm. But the thing is, the real you is the byproduct, yeah. Do you know what I mean? And that fight to get away from that and create something new that's a battle and a half, mate. But that exactly like you said there, you you, you use the drink to, to mask mm. that emotion, and that's why it starts. So, what happens when you usually start? as a kid is it's is for social and this, that and the other and blah, blah, blah. But then it becomes your go-to for everything. Mm. Oh, I'm struggling with this, bang. I'm struggling with that, bang. I'm snorting all kinds of, you know, whatever it is. Mm. And it's, it's that, it's that, that becomes the identity of who you are. Like I, you know, for me, for me in the special forces and the military in general, I was the party guy. Right. You know, everyone relied on me to, to be the one that was running the party, the life and soul of the party. Now, that's how it felt to me anyway. But you know what I mean? And that became my identity. And I was living up to that identity. And I was quite prepared to sacrifice my mental health and everything else. And, the, and, and 
absolute chaos in my life to keep up the identity to please the audience yeah i'm so, i'm so oh mate all of this i mean we could speak for hours because mm. all of this stuff is everything you've learned i want to learn like i i think i've got this uh, mental health group men and their emotions and it's filled full of lads we've got about fifty thousand lads in there now that are all uh Amazing. they can po they can post anonymously what they're going through right yeah. and then the other lads can chip in um if they want to be anonymous and one one and I, it's like market research for me i look at it mm. it's like it's like it's like um just watching like all the, what all these lads are going through and i try and find patterns and i look at it i'm like really into it and they're like my guinea pigs do you know what i mean mm. they're all like we're all sort of in it together all a little bit screwed up trying to work out why and um and it's like a community and I love it. But one thing that I, I just see with us men, and it's exactly what you said, it's like our life changes, right? And like you say, we create an I feel like we create an identity through substances, mm. drink or whatever, or whatever this negative behavior is. It could be anything, right? Um, and as our life changes, we can't change. We are, mm. like you're saying, you're that guy. And then suddenly you get to a point where you want to change but you're scared to find out who you are. And for me, sobriety, and your friend that's in here as well, we were talking about it before, the hardest part of sobriety to, for me was dealing with who was inside yeah, and finding out, you know, first of all, dealing with the shame and, and guilt and regret mm -hmm. of what it was, but also like, fucking hell, who are you? Who are you? Because, mm -hmm. you know, I, what I thought strength was, was yeah. fucking carnage. Yes. Do you know what yes, I mean? Yes, yes. That's what I thought. I thought risky behavior mm. was strength yeah. and carnage. And we have to go through, like I said before, going like mourning our own life, old life. Yeah. And actually, and this is what I think the difficult thing is for all the lads that are out there and uh, you know that have gone through similar things to me and you, is it's too uncomfortable and it's just mm. easier. It's too uncomfortable to find who you are and it's easier to go back. So how did you break through that? How, what was your personal experience with that? Well, the thing for me was, I mean, up until the point I sort of crashed and, but I mean, what happened with me? I, I, yeah, what was, if you don't mind me asking, what was your rock? How, how, how did the drink stop? Well, the thing is, the thing is, it wasn't, it, it was an escalation of situations. Right. Do you know what I mean? It was a battle for a long time. It wasn't just one thing that just went, you need to stop. You yeah. know? So for years I started to reflect and I, I think it's because you're so confused about who you actually are, like you just spoke 100%, about. Yeah. You know what I mean? So you come to this whole confusion about who you are and that becomes frustrating. Um, and the thing, one thing for me, I came from yeah, the special forces, said I was never going to go back to a war zone shortly afterwards. I'm, a, I'm in a war zone as a contractor. Um, and I was just doing, I was making bad choices, like terrible choices. My drinking got worse than ever when I left the military. You know, you'd think it'd be worse when I was in the military, but it was, it was worse when I left. Um, and for me, I was like working in Iraq. Now there was a lot of drinking, a lot of drinking. This is back in 2003 when the Americans um, liberated, or was it invaded? They can't fucking work out the difference, can they? <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> That's a whole other story. Um, but for you know, I was um, so there was a, it was a big drinking culture. You know, you used to work hard, and then you used to you know put down the weapons at night and, and get on the on the source every night and all kinds of other stuff and everything. It was it was it was crazy. You know, right in the center of a war zone in Baghdad, and we were actually in Saddam Hussein's old villas. You know what I mean? We'd hired all these villas. We actually had these cars that we had. We had a rental service there. It was it was it was a mental world, and we were renting out our cars. It was there were Saddam Hussein's old cars and his sons. Um, it was a mental world, loads of money. It was like, it was ridiculous. And it was like the wild west of the modern world. And uh, on a Thursday, 
we used to have a, that was party night because Friday was like their weekend. It was just one day. Friday's the weekend. So every Friday we were drinking all the way through the week anyway. Um, uh, but I think I was drinking more than everyone else because when everyone went to bed in the villa, I would make sure that I had a stash in there to knock myself out. It's the only way I could really sleep. And I used to sleep every night with a pistol under my pillow, not knowing if the door was going to get bashed in, not, know, not knowing if I was going to make it through the night or what. It was a horrible place to live. But I took it a step further. So we used to have these parties and it was like you would go to someone else's villa, like another security company or someone else would be throwing a party on a Thursday night. And it was debauchery, mate, absolute debauchery. Um, so you go there and you, you go there with your body armor on, your weapons on, you go there in your armored cars or whatever. You'd stay there the night and that's you had to stay there. You know what I mean? You couldn't leave. So me being you me. You couldn't be walking around pissed. No, you couldn't be walking around pissed, but you had to. You couldn't go back to your own villa. Mm. Do you know what I mean? You, once you're in that compound, you had to stay there. Yeah. Because of obvious reasons, the threat and everything else. So me, you know, I've been fucking drinking whiskey and all sorts all night. And at 12 o'clock, I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going. I'm going. I, I want to go back to my own villa. So anyway, I come out. I managed to get out of the party, put my body armor on my AK-47, got in my armored car. And mate, I was that fucking drunk. I wasn't driving. I was aiming. You know what I mean? I was aiming the car. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. I couldn't even drive. I couldn't even drive it properly. And I got lost in Baghdad. Pissed up. Pissed fucking up. Hell. I had no fucking ID on me, no nothing. All I had was an AK-47, my body armor. Now, if the Americans catch you, you're fucked. If the militia catch you, catch you you're clearly fucked. Yeah. And I'm like driving around the center, like almost like it's like a honey trap. You know, I'm pretty sure if the militia saw me, they'd be like, That's a, that must be a trap. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I, we ain't falling for that. Oh, look at that. Yeah, yeah. I'll, get, I'll get for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, I was that, you know, I was that shit fest. And I was like, oh, I started to panic. I was like, fuck, what am I going to do? So I managed to say, I, I thought I need to get to high ground to see where I am in Baghdad too, because I know there was a, the, uh, there was a tower that was in, in the line with, with where the villa was. So I managed to drive up in this armored car, got to the top of this bridge so I could get a look over Baghdad. And I can remember opening the door, my AK-47 fell on the floor and I followed it. You know Fucking what I mean? hell. So man. I'm on the floor and I'm like, and that was like, almost like it hit the deck and I went, what the, f what are you doing? It's like that Welsh farmer. Yeah. yeah, yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. I was a Welsh farmer yeah. with, with an AK-47 in, in, in a war zone. <laughs> in a war zone. So, I mean, that that in itself was was one thing. And then, like, another time I was, you know, so I managed to get, I managed to see where I was going, get the car in the right direction, and then start to see things. The next day, were you like, fucking close, close, Yeah, but then close. back on it. Fucking hell. You know what I mean? Then back on it. And then I was doing, like, I could, another time I went out, and it was like, no, no, no white men on the streets. You know, you get a thing from the DOD, Department of Defense, would send an email saying at the moment there's a mega high threat, high chance of kidnap, do not go out. And I'd be like, I'm going out. You know what I mean? I can remember that day I was I was in the villa. We had like a big Iraqi security team. So, you know, I, I said to the boys, I said, right, I want to go out and want to buy a rug. You know what Why? I mean? Why? Like, I don't know. And I, well, I do know because I'm like, I'm a... I want to be a rebel. Everything I was told not to do. Yeah. And this for me, like this goes back to me. When I look back now and in reflection, hindsight's a wonderful thing, but it never won any wars, but it's great for reflection. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? And I look back now and I, <laughs> I had a crazy experience with ayahuasca, which helped me deal with a lot of this stuff. And cost is this me. after? This is after, yeah. This yeah. is 2019. Okay. I don't actually realise this stuff. But it took me back without going into that story because it's quite a long one. But when I did ayahuasca, it took me back to the boy when I was in the circus. And when I actually went through the whole attack, uh, which was 
fucking horrible, absolutely horrible. I went through the whole emotions of it and everything, and it was like I relived that experience to unravel it. I needed to do that. Um, and actually, when I was going through that attack on ayahuasca, ayahuasca it's a hallucinogenic, so it's, it's taking you to a different place on a different parallel that seems extremely, well, it is real. Was it in Peru you did it? In, it was actually in Costa Rica. Oh, cool. Yeah, nice. Costa Rica. With the shaman and everything. With the shaman, wow. the whole lot. It was, it was yeah. a proper setup. And um, I can remember in that, and I was being attacked by this chimp, and it was the most horrible thing, because every time I reflected on that experience, there was no emotion. There was no noise or anything. It was just, oh, I just had a fight with the chimp kind of thing. But when I went through it with the ayahuasca... You felt it. I felt it, and I was screaming for my mum. I was I was in absolute shock and terror and horror. And that's what I needed to relive to unwrap that, unravel it and everything else. But while I was being attacked by the, by the chimp, something said, something freeze-framed. And it dropped me and it said, what would have happened if you hadn't have fought that day? And I lay down. I know this is a bit out there. I lay down. I actually looked in, I opened my eyes. My wife was there staring into my eyes. And I said, don't be scared. Come with me. And we went into the spirit world and all this. And it was, it was incredible. Anyway, I went in there. I didn't want to come back. It was so amazing. It was like we're no longer physical. We're in this spirit world. And it was just incredible. And then um, I heard this voice saying, they need you. So I went, I actually went back, came into my physical body again. And my whole lesson for that afterwards, I was like going, there was something in me that was saying, stop fighting. Stop fighting. And that to me really reflected on everything. From that chimp attack all the way through my life, I've been fighting everything. You know, fighting my relationships, fighting the system. And I don't disagree with fighting the system because mm. the shit they're coming out with is ridiculous. Mm. But um, there's, a, there's a limit when it starts to affect your life and mm. everything else. But, you know, it was stop fighting. And, and for me, that was a typical case of that. All that time in Baghdad, like, right, you're not allowed out. I'm fucking going out. Man, it's like you thought because of, because of what happened to you with that animal, mm. you thought that you needed something to fight or you're not going to survive. Yeah. That's what it was. Yeah. So you're, yeah. so you're, you're the 10 year old you was like, just keep fighting, mate. Keep yeah. fighting, mate. Yeah. And yeah. when you didn't have a fight, you needed to find a fight. Yeah. Exactly. And, 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 and I'll tell you something now that must be so difficult to switch off from. Mm. So your journey really started when you realized I have to stop fighting. Yeah. It did, and that, that was the thing. And I, I then reflected through that on all aspects in my life when I'm doing that. And like I said, I'm all, all up for a bit of a fight if you don't agree. But the thing is, when it starts to affect who you yeah. are, yeah. And it really negatively affects your life, yeah. then it's not a positive thing to do. Yeah. You know, relationships, everything, you know, it was. And when I go back to that whole experience, that's why I reflect on it so much. Like I talked about, I was in that great experience. Then it all of a sudden chaos. Mm. Everything in my life, my whole career in the special forces, everything, relationships with people, my parents and everything. Everything's nice. Everything's good. Everything's where it should be. Let's get the fucking grenade and throw that in and cause not, chaos. You're not happy until there's yeah. chaos. Chaos. Yeah. Cause chaos. And then I, then I went into the special forces and they teach you to be at comfort in chaos. So so you go over to Iraq in chaos and you're like, this ain't really chaos, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to create some more. <laughs> Actually, yeah, yeah. I'll tell you what chaos is. Give me that bottle of whiskey and I'm yeah. getting the fuck out of it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Go down and buy a rug. And I went down that day and they're like, please, Mr. Ollie, don't go out. Don't go out. I said, I'm buying a rug. I need to buy a rug. Went down to like this. On your own? Well, I had the security team with mm. me. So I'd like myself in a car, my BG team. Mm. So I, I was tooled up. Um, the Iraqis were tooled up. And they didn't want to go. And I was like, look, we're going. Anyway, I managed to, to, to get to the Mansour district in Baghdad where the, the rug shops were. Mm. And I like get out the car, run into the shop and I'm in the shop and we had to get on the floor to do the deal because we didn't want anyone to see us. 
you know anyone to walk past and go, there's a white man in, in the shop down the road so I'm, any, I'm on the floor and I've got like 2,000 it was 2,000 quid for this Iranian silk rug it's beautiful and I was handing out the cash to him and as I'm doing it the security team come flying through the door like Mr. Ollie you, we must go the militia and uh, anyway, there was like, I got the, they came in, grabbed the rug. I paid in the two grand, grabbed my AK-47. I ran out the door and then the bullets start flying down the street. Fuck, man. And I jump in the car, bullet goes through the back of the car. And then we race off and get back to the villa. You but know you've got I mean? the rug. Got, and it's on the wall back home. Now. <laughs> <laughs> it's got no bullet holes in it now. I, want, I, I think I need to take it down the range to give it yeah. a bit of authenticity. Fucking but, you know, things it's like Risky that. behavior. Risky yeah. behavior, but really bad choices. You know yeah. what I mean? And this is all on the back end of, of, of drinking, you know, that alcoholic mind. And, you know, I think in general, you don't have to be drunk. When you're drinking, you don't have to be actually consumed with alcohol to make bad decisions. Mm. You know, you're pickled all the time yeah. pretty much you know what I mean so you, you you're never in in a stable mindset to yeah. make really good decisions and that was it for me you know and it's not the you know I started then in Baghdad because you know the, the beer shakes and everything else so I then found Valium right you know what I mean so the next to day to knock you out to knock me out so the next day I basically you know instead of having the, the beer shakes and everything else and being you know all anxious and everything take a couple of Valium next thing I'm addicted to Valium mm. Now, you don't need to be a mental health specialist to understand that being dependent on alcohol, Valium, and being shot at is good for this. Because Don't try it because it's not. You know yeah, aren't I mean? you so, meant to have your wits about you as well? Valium can't be good for that. No, no, not at all. But I was so complacent. Chilled under fucking fire. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Chilling out in the yeah. back. Yeah. 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 Like, don't worry, it's only yeah, seven yeah, of yeah. them. They're giving the weapon to the principal. There you go, mate, you deal with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it was, it was a, you know, I was glad to get away from there. But, you know, I just knew if I didn't go leave by choice, I'd have gone in a in a box so. you're lucky to have survived that and then yeah. when you got when you got home how how, how was it because you know you see all these films and everything like that it's mm. I feel like as men you know everything to us it, everything's about a massive massive part of men's mental health I feel especially with lads these mm. days especially when you get to like your fucking late 30s like I'm coming up to 40, 40, 40 45 50 when you reflect and you're like who am I what am I doing what mm. have I fucking achieved what's going on for me oh I'm worthless and I really feel like the self the, like the self-hate and the the self-loathing really counts towards getting towards that suicidal feeling yeah. or or you know uh, adding to that when you came out of that how, what was the journey like from that to finding yourself yeah i mean the biggest thing for me i get a lot of lads actually getting in touch with me that um you know through instagram and stuff like that and i've guided a few lads and and, and they come to me and they say look i'm drinking too much and i always say to them the step you've just taken is one of the biggest steps mm. because the thing is there's a lot of people drinking and stuff like that and it's subconscious behavior they don't actually think they're doing anything wrong they just think that's normal so they yeah. think they, they think that, that that it's okay to be the way that they are and someone to be aware and recognize that, that it's a problem is the first major step in the right direction mm. so i spent a lot of time after that in that space but i couldn't control the habit yeah, you know I mean, I couldn't control the habit. Then I went across to Southeast Asia, and we were rescuing kids. Oh, this, this, this is where the dots connected for me, right? Because I came back from uh, from Iraq, and then I came up with all these ideas of getting into property and having this stable life. I was living in Oz, yeah. um, you know, I had a beautiful house and everything else, and I was like, yeah, this is great, blah blah blah. And then I heard about this organization called the Grey Man, who were going in and rescuing kids from child prostitution, slavery, human trafficking, basically. Right. So. 1.6 million kids a year 
in Southeast Asia alone, and here's the kicker, they're sold by their families. I just couldn't get my fucking head around it. I was like, sold by their families. So you imagine the people you know, that you're closest to in your family, and knowing that they then sell you to cover a debt or whatever into that life of debauchery, I couldn't get my head around that. So I was like, I need to get out there and help change the destiny of these kids' lives. So anyway, I ended up out in Southeast Asia then, rescuing these kids, and I'll tell you What, now, like physically rescuing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So basically the camps were all across the border. They What did they need? Armed forces personnel to kind of do it. Is that what? Yeah, but the thing is, this is the first time in my life when I did a job that wasn't allowed to take the tools. You know what I mean? And that was a, that was a hard decision for me to do because basically, where the camps were being held or where the kids were being held in the camps, they'd be held there, and then the the cartels would come up through the jungle, and they'd recruit them. It'd be like a recruitment process. So some would go off to the, the brothels, some would go to the sweatshops, some would go to the fishing villages where they they don't. It's a one way trip. You know, they take them on a fishing boat where they're working on the fishing boat. They're used and abused, and when they finish with them, they chuck them over the side. Fuck you know what I mean? Hell. So. And that for me, so we had to get in there and we had to be under the guise that we were tourists. So we're like, do we take weapons? And we're like, we had to make the decision not to take weapons. And that was the hardest thing for me because it's, it's been the tool of my trade, you know what I mean? It's like, so we ended up in the jungle. We, we actually hid caches of weapons and stuff. So you dig a hole in the ground so you know where the weapons are. Hmm. But we couldn't actually be caught with weapons on us because if if we were caught or just know, a civilian with a gun, then we just you? yeah. And also they they're going to think if you are caught by the cartels, they're going to think you're DEA, all right, drug enforcement agency. So you're going to get killed anyway. All right, you know what I mean. So we had to make that decision to drop that. So if we got compromised, it would look we're just tourists. We'd blah, blah. So anyway, we were getting in there, getting the kids out, and then what would happen from there? We would get them after they'd come and done the sort of interview process before they came in to collect them. We would get in there, get the kids. And then we would have an orphanage um, where we'd get donations in from all over the world. It was incredible. This was the, like, for me, I, I wanted to go out there out of some moral duty, but then I realized that, that the power that the power that gave me, mate, it was the best return on investment I've ever had in my life. I wasn't even being paid, mm. you know what I mean? But it was the best return on investment ever. The reason I say that is because I was at the forefront of knowing how powerful it is to help others. Yeah. Especially when they're less fortunate. You know, and I think that's something that we're losing in this day and age. Everyone's more interested in how many followers they've got on Egogram than yeah. fucking helping each other out. You know, even in close-knit teams, we're vying for position. We'll step over our mates to get to that position. We've lost that power of helping each other. And I think... It's you know, not trendy, is it? It's not trendy. Well, yeah. Yeah, I mean, not doing it properly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it, that, for me, was such an incremental moment. For the first time ever, all the dots started to connect, and I went, like, this is far better than the Special Forces. This, for me, was my purpose. Yeah, you got genuine fulfillment from it. Not yeah. not topping yourself up with action or alcohol yeah. or, or fucking risky behavior. Yeah. Or, you know, I think I'm doing right, but am I doing right? Is this for my ego? It was mm. ego free. It was ego free and it was just so so spiritual. rewarding to me. Spiritual it was. And it was incredible to I've still got the vision of those kids going down, you know, knowing they were going to be sold, putting on that fishing boat, putting in that factory or whatever. I still remember seeing those kids, the vision of seeing those kids walking down the street with a satchel on their on their shoulders, with their school uniform on, with a smile on their face. Oh, it breaks my heart, mate. But the thing is, it, um, it caused an international incident that the organisation who was based in Australia then put a picture of us that we got from this bus. We got 22 kids out, which is relatively small, but it was a big bust. Um, that picture went viral all over the world while we're still in country. And we didn't, they didn't realise the gravitas of what they were doing. So, so basically, they just put a price on your fucking head. Yeah, yeah. And it was like, next thing, there's a manhunt for us. 
I get a text saying, get out now, you need to get out quick. We were going on to other operations, you know what I mean? And it was like, get out. So we had to escape across the border. We got to a, uh, we got to a, an airport and got back, got back to Australia. And going back to your question, this is for me where it all changed. It all changed. I got back to Australia at that point. I crashed and burned. Well, they thought the whole organization crashed and burned, and I went with it. And at this point, that self-destruct button I'd been so used to pressing in the past, you know, when things get a bit too confusing, mm-hmm. it's a lot easier just to numb yourself out with alcohol. Mm-hmm. I went to a, the next level. I went to the next level, all kinds, you know, like chucking stuff up my nose, also, like yeah. beyond belief. And it got to such a point where I started thinking about suicide. Yeah. I'd thought about it before, but not to this level. Mm. And like at that point, it was the wake up call for me. And I did hear that voice again that I heard as a 10 year old boy. And it said, Your story doesn't end like this. Mm. And luckily for me, I listened to it. Mm. And this is a point I said before, you know, because a lot of times you can't see a way out. But going back to that chimp experience, so monumental. You you always always have an option. You've always got an option, always got a choice. And I listened to that. And it was the first time in my life that I actually stopped blaming the outside world for everything. You know, and this is how we're programmed. We're programmed to believe that happiness, success, everything is external. Even when things go wrong, it's not my fault. Blame, 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 blame. Victim, victim. Why can't I get a break? Yeah. Everyone else gets it. Yeah, yeah. this is just the person I am being given a raw deal, blah, blah, all this shit. It's the first time I took responsibility for where I was. Yeah, all these things had happened to me, the chimp, this, that, and the other. I was there because of my choices. Fuck. I was the only person that could do something about that. And that did something incredible to me because it backed me into a corner. And it, I, for the, I couldn't blame the outside world anymore. Mm. And that made, it forced me to look within. Mm. And then I realized that's where the answers are. Mm. You can't change anything in your external world unless you change the energy of who you are. Mm. And p- to relate to that for anyone that doesn't really get a grip on what I'm saying there, it's like a relationship, anything. You know, you can be in a relationship, it can be flat and boring and everything else. It can be quite destructive. And you think, I'm going to get out of this. It's, no, it's not serving me any longer. Mm. You know, you go to a new relationship, you're on a honeymoon period for a couple of months. Mm. And then before you know it, after that couple of months, those old habits and behaviors come in. It's the same old thing again. You know, you can't change who you are unless you change the energy. Or you can't change your environment unless you change Mm. the energy of who you are. And I realized that in that moment. And from that moment, I started to think about what I was doing all the way through that. I was like, I was hating me, the worst thing ever. I was hating my environment, hating everything. Why, if I hate it, am I getting more of it? Yeah. But then I start to realize the more you focus on anything, the bigger it becomes. So I start, what's the opposite then? Because there's always a yin and yang. Mm. I started thinking, what's the opposite to what I'm doing? So I created this vision of who I wanted to be and what that person represented. And once I had that image in my head, I added emotion to what does it feel like to be that person? So when I ever had that negative um, narration in my head mm. I would always focus on that and it's hard work it's easier said than done but the more I focused on that the more that drew me out of that really dark space mm. and over a short period of time relatively speaking my life changed massively is that when you locked yourself away you said that was after that but basically from that then that was the starting point because that when I realized how much I'd changed as a person I realized that humans can change can change yeah yeah, yeah you know yeah. up until our that thoughts point, can change yeah, yeah our thoughts can change we can change the reality of who you know this whole thing about a leopard never changes his spots that is the biggest yeah. load of bollocks ever you can change yeah. and be whoever you want to be but it takes directive yeah. action on your part so that for me was doing that and then um, from that moment I then came up with the concept of breakpoint. 
And that's my business. Breakpoint is a globally identified brand recognized for the positive growth and development of others. That became my dream in that moment. And that was amplified by going, coming from Southeast Asia, rescuing those kids, something in the service of others, but then seeing that we can change if we want to change. Yeah. And that became Breakpoint. So that became my, my vision, my dream. And two years after that, after I got some kind of level of stability, I was still drinking. Yeah, okay. Still heavily aware of it, still drinking. I didn't believe ever I could stop drinking. And it was all about that time. It was a battle. It was battle. I can control it. I can. And I would go day, you know, I was doing better, but I was still... You have to work on yourself. You have to get ready to stop. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? 100%. You have to get strong to yeah. stop. You do. And the thing is, I, I got myself into a bit of a stable place, got a decent job, and things were going a lot better. Um, but then I had this dream of Breakpoint and I said, right, I'm coming back to the UK to start this business, Breakpoint. Now, I came back here and bearing in mind that mission statement all about helping other people, I was still broken. Mm. Broken people break people. Yeah. Do you yeah. know what I mean? How could I start? And there are a lot of people out there doing it, faking perfection. But how can I be that person that wants to inspire and motivate and change people's lives if I'm still yeah, and not happy. Broken. And not happy with yeah, yourself. And abusing myself and yeah. drinking and everything else. So I locked myself in a house for three months. Didn't know I was going to be in there for three months. And that was the mission to change the person I was, change the energy who, of who I was. And I went into three things: mind, body, and nutrition. I used to do. I do things that I know the lads would laugh at me for. Yeah. I know people on this podcast say didn't expect that and don't believe in it. But I started meditation, started visualization, I started goal setting, listening to positive podcasts. I didn't buy a newspaper, didn't switch on the news, and I focused every day. I came up with this dream of starting this business where I would take people, put them through a mock SAS selection. Mm. You know what I mean? So I'd interrogation all this and beast them on the mountains and stuff like this to really get under the skin of who they were. Every day I visualized that also visualized me being on stage. But when I visualized, I could feel the shirt on my back, the watch, the expensive watch on my arm, the shoes on my feet. I put myself there as if I was actually doing it in these meditations. And at the end of three months, nothing is happening. I'm like, this is a load of shit. <laughs> I'm starting, you know, your head, yeah. the seed of self-doubt. Um, and I was like getting frustrated. My family was like going, what you, what you up to? You know, I was luckily in a house, one of my family's houses that was available at the time. Um, and they were like getting concerned. I had no money or anything. And it got to the point where I was like, oh, this is rubbish. And I was like so frustrated. I shouted, please give me something. Mm -hmm. I wanted an email. I started this business, you know, website and stuff. Nothing was happening. And then please give me something. I wanted something to happen. Nothing happened. And then two days after that, Foxy, a best mate from, uh, from the show and also from my service days yeah. phoned me up and he said you know that idea you've got would you do that on national tv Fuck. that for me like i was like oh my there is a god and there that is was that was the beginning that was the beginning that that was the change and the beginning and i'd like to go back onto that because i think this is really important this is what i actually learned through ayahuasca as well something that really makes sense to me and that's the phrase that i came up with after, after ayahuasca pain screams the loudest when it's dying so it tries, it, you know what I mean? It's like when you're trying to end something that's been a habit of yours for a long time, let's take it back to a relationship again. You imagine you get to the point of that literal separation and it's screaming the loudest because it doesn't want it to end. Yeah. But the thing is, you've got to let go of that. The easiest thing to do is put a Band-Aid on that and just go back to that habit and just, but that's mm -hmm. not the way. You've got to understand it's the birth of something new. Oh. And you've got to embrace that birth of something new and, and endure the discomfort. Oh, it's so fucking true, man. Mm. 
everything you're saying, I'm just like, it's a bit fucking, it raises your emotions, man. Like, yeah. my, like my hairs are standing up. It resonates. It just it, resonates. Fucking sure. resonates. Yeah, because yeah, I'm like, like that, especially that last bit that you're, like everything I can relate to, it makes sense mm. to me. The pain that I had to fucking go through to yeah. get sober and then the opportunities that came, like the universe saying, all right, you've, you've, you've yeah. fucking, you're being honest. Like I, like it's like the universe saying, "I see you now. I couldn't see you before. Yeah, you were asking for this, but mm. I couldn't see you. Yeah, but now I see you." Like mm. Ollie, have you read a book called The Alchemist? You know what? I bought the book. I haven't read it. Yet. I've started reading it, and yeah. you just what you've been saying reminds me of a quote that I've just read today. It's uh, and when you want something, all the universe conspires in helping you achieve it. Yeah. And it's like I feel like when your intentions are pure and you've aligned yourself with it. Mm these opportunities come and it's, it's so much like synchronicity and stuff mm. like that. Yeah, hundred percent. And this is what people get wrong, right? You hear so many people saying that like, um, I've, I've got to wait for the opportunities to line up. No, you've the got opportunities to... are there. You've got to line yourself up to be yeah. able to see them. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm massive on visualization. I have yeah. been for a long time. I mean, like I visualize what happened on Friday night at your call yeah. on my, on my 10 K runs every week. I visual. I went through the paces. Mm. I visualized walking in, I visualized knocking them out. I visualized it all. Right. Yeah. But I'm very much, I'm very much believe that <clears throat> it's like I'm I'm torn sometimes between it because I used to I used to depend on on my happiness used to depend on the progress right mm. on things happening. Yeah. But through my sobriety now, like I got my family back together, you know, I got my little baby girls, I've got another kid on the way, and like all of these like nice warm things. I'm, my my mind is. The way that the way that I feel now, I feel like in a position in my life that's so amazing. Where I'm like, I visualize the things that I want. But if they come, they come. But if not, I'm good. I feel like it's flow state. Yeah, I just yeah, feel yeah. like there's so much out there for me. Yeah. But whatever is meant to come will come. Yeah. But whatever doesn't, that's okay because look. Yes, and that is hundred percent right. You know, that's totally the opposite to when you're drinking, isn't it? Because oh when you're God, drinking, yeah. it's like you just you. you, you just, oh, I want everything now. Yeah, if it yeah. doesn't happen. Of yeah, course, yeah. it ain't gonna. Yeah, it won't yeah, gonna yeah. happen anyway. And then you, you know, after a big session, you're like, oh, what the fuck did I do? And all that, you know, all that fear state and everything else. But really, that's the same thing when it came to the whole thing with SAS. You know, getting that call to offload like, offload me. I just went. It's it's like it's it's pain screams the loudest when it's dying because that was the death of something there but you've got to then start to look for the opportunities you know for me it's like oh that didn't work out so what's out there then something else is there for you it's meant to be you know what I mean this is the way the universe works and if there's something that I want to get across and I'm pretty sure you're on the same level here Dan is the fact that if people start tapping up tapping into that first thing of looking after yourself mm. really get yourself into a good solid state I mean this to me is being a man right if you create a strong foundation a root system of absolute solid growth you are a better husband a better father a better man a better employee whatever it is to everyone around you and, and then once you do that everything that does happen when you've got that solid foundation you realize that is destiny like you say oh that didn't work out that did you know it's just easy isn't it like some people get so resentful when things don't work out for them mm. and that's the wrong you know when you're in a good place you're like ah, okay yeah that's fine yeah I, f I honestly feel it I honestly feel like it's like, you know, we make deals with us. I, I feel like, you know, you make, you know, you have this vision of yourself that you want to be and it's down to you to, to create that. And when you keep letting yourself down and you're like, man, I know I'm meant to be in, but I'm drinking and I'm sniffing gear and I'm not mm. exercising and I'm arguing with the missus and I'm being selfish and I'm picking this over, over that person I'm meant to be. It's like, 
you look at yourself and you think, I'm a twat. Mm. I don't like myself. Yeah. And then you're like, well, fuck it anyway. But when you start doing, and this is, I used to think it was wanky when, when mm. I used to hear people, I always say this, when I hear people saying, you know, I want to, you know, I'm finding myself or, you know, things like well-being and da-da-da-da. Yeah. I used to think to myself, oh, fuck off, man. Yeah. Have a beer or yeah. whatever. But when you start putting yourself first, mm. and I mean like really putting yourself first, like realising that you can't be anything for your kids or your missus or whatever until until you start treating yourself first and then you just see a little glimmer of light, you're like, mm. that's, oh, right. Yeah. Oh, okay. But I love what you just said there because it's so right. The first, when you start doing that, it's like the universe can't see. I love what you just said. Yeah. That. I'm stealing that, by the way. Yeah. And that is the universe can't see you. You start looking after yourself. You clear all the smog and yeah. then, then it starts delivering for you. I yeah. tell you, there's a really, I don't talk about it a lot because I know, it, I think it freaked people out a bit because I don't want to. But when I started doing this, like I came back from Iraq and like my ex-partner, she was a psychologist. So it saved me fucking loads of money, which is <laughs> <laughs> great. Yeah, yeah. But she said to me, you need to go and see a psychologist. She didn't want to do it because there's that, you know, um, client confidence, uh, whatever yeah. it is anyway. So sh she was like, you go on, you need to see a psychologist. And I was like, right. But she put me in touch with a spiritual psychologist because I didn't want to go to someone that's going to slide a load of pharmaceuticals across, no, no, across no. the table. You know, I wanted to, so that this person anyway was like he was the first person that taught me about meditation and everything and started getting you know like breath work and blah blah blah. And it was the first time for me I'd, I'd started being put onto that wavelength and I started thinking there's something in this. It started to feel good. But I said to him at the end of the first session, I said. And this is the first time I started really looking after myself. I started questioning the narrative that was in here, started questioning the things I was doing and everything else. And as soon as I started that, I started seeing the numbers 11 everywhere. It was mad. I mean everywhere. And I said to him, look, I don't know if you can help me here. I think I sound a bit mad, but I see 11 everywhere. And he was like, normally just went, just give us your birthday. And it wrote down my birthday and he's like, you are first of all a child of 11. And when you're seeing 11, 11, 11, it means you're on the right path. Right. And honestly, like years later, still now, this is happening to me. Not all the time, but when I'm doing stuff and it's like 11, 11, it's like, I know it sounds a bit freaky out No, there, I know what you mean. It's like things are aligned. The things are aligning. This, this to me is like, it's like this weekend. I've, I've had... Um, if you look at the screen behind you, right in the middle. <gasps> in the middle, look, 11. 11. <laughs> exactly exactly <laughs> but this has been the whole weekend for me i've had a really powerful and amazing weekend with some massive connections and it's like i got on the train on on the in taunton to come to london it was like my reserve seat was k11 i was like oh. <laughs> so i got there and i'm like little old lady in my seat i thought i can't i can't get her out of the seat so I, I moved to another seat anyway i'm sat down in my seat look above half an hour later and it's like number 47 that's 11 <laughs> i'm like and then i'm like and i start to think a bit more and then i realize k is actually 11 in the alphabet <gasps> <laughs> then i get to my hotel room and it's it's 247 so you know I mean? and all these 11s everywhere it's, it's just crazy so for me that is i know it sounds mm. a lot for, for a lot of lads out there you know, when you start looking after yourself, things start to align. The universe starts to work with you and realize and mm. tell you you're on the right path. And the more we can get lads to start believing in this stuff and not think that we're just big uh, lumps of meat and gravy, work, eat, sleep, repeat, that there is a lot more to us than we're led mm. to believe. Mm. We can really start to work with our strengths and weaknesses and really start to, mm. to change those negative behaviors and outcomes. It's, it, oh man, it's, yeah, it's that's that you've just described my journey. I'm mm. like, I've just started it. I'm like, you know, cut, cut, you know, 
getting over the habit and the addiction yeah. and then thinking, all right, well, what the fuck else am I going to do with my life if I can't drink at the weekends yeah. and I can't drink and, you know, I don't know what else. All right, okay, I guess I better try and work out who I am. But for me, I don't know if it's the ADHD that I got diagnosed with or whether it's uh, the al- years of alcohol and drug abuse. But what I realized very quick when I stopped drinking is that my mind is a wild place. Now, my jo- mm-hmm. I-, I know you've seen my social media and bits like that. From a creative perspective, I come up with fucking mayhem, right? Mm. And, and and call it comedy. <laughs> yeah. And people fucking like characters and everything like yeah. that. And that's like that's like a, a tiny section of my brain, mm. yeah, that, that that's great that I've earned a living out of. The rest, that's like light. That's I see like that as in like a cartoon. It's a like colour yeah. cartoon. The rest of it is dark, mm. right? And it's like whoo, mayhem. Yeah. And and yeah. through the sobriety, like that mayhem was like it was too much. I had to mm. fucking read. I had to learn. I had to do this podcast. This podcast has been like fucking 50 episodes. I think we're coming up to of, of everyone's psychologists, experts, authors. I just needed to learn about addiction, mindset, yeah. everything like that. And the one big thing that I learned that I wish that they taught me when I was a child is that we can control, we can control our thoughts. Yeah. That we can control where our mind takes us. Yeah. Uh, we don't need alcohol and drugs or mm. or porn and sex or addiction. Yeah. We don't need relief mm. from our thoughts yeah. and our pain. Yeah. We can we can do meditation, for instance. Again, I used to make a joke about it where I'd say, yeah. meditation, I'd rather sit around and do nothing, right? <laughs> I used to f- take the piss out of <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah. But I, I know what it is. Yeah. I've tried it, I've done it, and there's and it's like breath work, it's like cold water dips, it all comes down to one thing stopping your thoughts controlling you yeah 100% and this is this again the thought your thoughts are so influential to everything in your life a lot of people don't appreciate that we have 60,000 to 70,000 thoughts going around our head each day some people a lot less you know who you are (laughs) (laughs) 60,000 to 70,000 and then based on the fact that when it comes to our survival mechanism we are focused on the negative we talked about that before so what do you think the dominant strain of thoughts are protection what's going to happen survival what could possibly go wrong it's always looking for the bad in every situation Mm. so it takes a bit of effort to to beat through that Mm. and start thinking of positive outcomes that you desire Mm. but you can control that and the thing is the more you're this is why I a big thing for drinking for me like when it went into the control thing right I was like I need to control it I did the first SAS show and I can remember two days before we went in to start filming for the first time we got out we went on a mental night mental night all the lads did and when I actually turned up for filming, I was a wreck. You know, I never slept. The demons were tapping on my shoulder all night. You know what I mean? It was just a horrible night. And and, and when when the cameras started rolling, it actually took me on a on a on a relatively short shoot. You know, for the first few days, I was a wreck. You know what I mean? Just trying to get myself back together. So anyway, the second under time, pressure, under pressure, yeah, and also just the, you know, just yeah. the whole insecurity and blah blah, blah this that, and the other, doing something, you know, out of your comfort zone, cameras, comfort people zone. watching you do it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, coming from the shadows into the spotlight in such a dramatic way. Um, and um, you know, so when it came around to doing the next series, series two, I was like. You know what? This time I am going to make sure I go on set. I'm going to be totally sober. Mm. You know, I'm going to give myself a break up until that point. Still, again, my head telling me you're never going to be able to stop drinking. It's always been part of your life. Da da da. All this kind of stuff. So I'm right. Let myself. Let me just see if I can give myself a break. I had something to aim for, which was important. 
But then I just realised afterwards, big rap party, you know, after the the cameras stop, you know, everyone gets shit. I've earned it. Yeah, I've earned it. I'm going to get absolutely wasted. So anyway, I did that and we went out to Ecuador um, in South America, filmed the Jungle uh, SAS show series two. Um, and up until that point, you know, the lads, while we're filming, there was odd nights to go and have a drink and stuff leading up to the filming bit. And um, I didn't go. So I was, I was uh, staying away from it, which was good. And it got to the six weeks where the filming and everything done. It was the, that was probably the longest time I'd I'd been off alcohol since since definitely about sixteen, at least sixteen. Um, and I got to the end. Camera stopped. Massive party. Everyone getting excited. All the crew, everyone. And Foxy came up to me and he's like, "Right, come on, mate, let's get fucking wasted." And for the first time ever, I took a breath and I went, and I said, "No, I'm not doing it." I'm not doing it. I said, I've got wow. such a mindset of clarity at the moment. I feel absolutely brilliant. I'm going to just give this a go. I turned around, went back to my room, sat in my room, and I heard the party going on. It was tough. But honestly, the feeling next morning when I woke up, there's still people drinking at six o'clock in the morning when I'm going out for a run. And the feeling then was just amazing. And that was my start of sobriety. Wow. Well, congratulations on Cheers, that. brother. Congratulations on that. That's so powerful. Mm. But and one thing I'll say about that, though, Dan, I did, I did go back into that world. Okay. Yeah, we went out to Chile and uh, we were filming back to back. And it was like we had a break between the two filming sessions. And I'm, everyone's talking about the drinking. We're going to do this. We're going to get wasted. And I'm thinking I'm just going to be the odd one out here. Mm. You know what I mean? So I, I convinced myself I'd I come this far. I proved to myself I could control it. I'm going to just have a few drinks. You know what I mean? And honestly, I did drink that night. I made an absolute twat of myself and woke up the next morning like the first time I'd ever drank. It was horrible. You know what I mean? The headaches and everything. How did you make a twat yourself? Just acting up? Just just being the old Ollie. Piss you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Um, but, you know, obviously mm. I'd not drank for a long, long time. So it was like times. Mm. It was like Ollie. Mm adult Ollie the mm. first time he mm. ever drank it was mm. like horrible um, but then that started eight months back on the source you know what I mean so oh wow yeah, yeah eight, okay eight months back on it and yeah. then then it happened that we we're just going up to Scotland on a recce you know for SAS who dares wins again and all that week for the recce I was like getting shit faced with the lads even at the airport on the way back me and Billy were in the airport like down in pints before we got on our separate flights and then my missus had gone away for that weekend. She'd gone to Norway to see some friends. And so I was at home alone. And I got back that Friday night, shit-faced. I thought, you know what? I've been working hard all week. I'm just going to do absolutely nothing tomorrow. I'm going to come downstairs, watch TV. And I came down. It was about 9 o'clock in the morning. Dog's there, happy to see me, wants to go out. And I'm like, oh, no, I'm just going to lay on the couch. You know, I've worked hard. I deserve this. Mm. And I lay on the couch. Beautiful day outside. My head hit the pillow. And honestly, it hit me like a, like a ton of bricks. And it, I heard this voice saying, if you hadn't been drinking, you'd be out there now on the hills, taking your dog out, enjoying the sunshine. It'd be lovely. Yeah, and that was it. Bang, I said, never again. Do you know what? I'm going to use your own analogy. It's like going back to a relationship, isn't yeah. it? You know, an ex. Yes. You got you leave your yeah, ex. Yeah. You're like, this is better. Yeah. You go, do you know what? I fancy a shag. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. go back. <laughs> you end up back with her for yeah. a while. Yeah, yeah. And then you get away again and you're like, yeah. fuck that. I realised why I left in the first place. I realised why I left in the first yeah. place. Yeah. Exactly the same thing happened to me, mate. I was mm. sober. I, well, I went sober because I had to because my missus and da 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 well, she was putting, she wanted you to go sober. Yeah, I mean, I was, it just, you know, it. I couldn't drink without getting on the packet mm. right i just i just I, well i could occasionally but i'd get too excited and then i'd go home i wouldn't sleep and then in the morning i'd just be a psycho mm. and just fucking kicking off and that and um you know 
same thing, but instead of the dogs, the kids, I'd lie on the couch yeah. and I'd just be like, you know, pass them an iPad and that. And the arguments with her and and um, I actually, I went to, uh, to see a psychiatrist. I started seeing a psychiatrist because I was having these fucking... Uh, mental breakdowns where mm. like pushing the self-destruct button and kicking off and fucking going yeah. mad. I was losing my mind. But she wouldn't see me unless I was sober and off the drugs. Mm. And Shelly had had enough of it. So I went sober, went counselling, sorted myself out, come to Christmas. Come on, man, look, I ain't got a problem. I'll be all right. Uh, and then the same thing went back. But unfortunately, it was through my... Uh, in the time that I went back to drinking, which I don't know how many months it was. It was a blur. Mm. Um, it escalated quicker. Like, I, I, I was worse. I got married in that time, had the honeymoon in that time, made a lot of mistakes, messed a lot of things up. And um, and then, yeah, and then uh, we were, we, a couple of months after getting married, we were, you know, it was it was falling apart again. Yeah. And, um, yeah, and then I, 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 I was like, I was scared, basically. I was like, fucking hell, this is for real. Like, mm. you know, last time I was giving up because everyone was giving me shit, saying yeah. I got a problem. <laughs> then I was like, I think I got a problem. <laughs> it was mad. But yeah, I had to do it. You have yeah. to dip your water. Sometimes I'm not advising that to anyone else. You know, yeah. it's really difficult talking about it sometimes because there's, there's people that are suffering. Mm. But it's... And I hate saying it, but you know, sometimes you you have to stop and 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 then think you can go back to yeah. fucking realize. No, I, I, I honestly believe I had to do that to to really understand why I gave up in the first place. And the fact for me, one thing that the point I was actually before I took my detour there is the fact that for me, once I start drinking, I I first of all. And I'm pretty sure I speak for you as well. I, I can't see the middle road. You know, I can't no, no. go out and just let it have a, a no. It's, not, it's pure escapism. Point uh, of that? I, yeah. I see oblivion, and I'm like, yeah, I like it. Yeah. yeah, no, absolutely. And I was so terrified of actually facing up to the reality of who I was. I didn't even know who I was. Yeah. Um, but the thing is, you know, the whole control thing. I was like, even when I had one drink. It changes everything up here. And I had this fuck it attitude, you know, straight away. It was like one drink, fuck everything. You know, I could I could be like all week, like training my ass off like the best triathlete or whatever, you know, the best, you know, absolute maniac when it comes to that. I get to the weekend, yeah. I have one drink and it was like, right, fuck it. You know, yeah. I'd eat shit, I'd make bad choices, you know, do yeah. stuff I regret. And it was just like, I just say, it's this is a thing where it's all or nothing for me. So I would never, you know, a lot of people think, you know, are you still doing that? You know, are you still not dr doing that non-drinking thing? Thinking of, it's just a little holiday. Yeah, yeah, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. yeah, this is the this yeah. is the me. You know, that's that old identity is gone. I'm never going back to that. Yeah. I'm never, you know what I mean? And I would not mess up the clarity of this now because I understand yeah. how precious that is by adding a chemical to it that just yeah. blocks everything I, I, I love now in my life out. Yeah, it. I, I completely relate to that. I was addicted to the escapism. Mm, I was yeah. addicted to the escapism, and that that for me was was harder to give up than the alcohol and the drugs. You know. Yeah. So what what I had to come to terms with. I mean, going a week or two weeks without drinking, and you know, it, I wasn't. I don't feel like I was alcohol. Although I was either drunk or hungover my whole life. I must have been because I was fucked all weekend, and then I'd have a session in the week. Yeah. And then so I was like you said earlier. It was in my body, right? Yeah. So, but I, I don't, I didn't wake up reaching for a bottle. I always talk about this, like there's different types, you know, like being like uh, dependent on drugs or alcohol. Yeah. Oh, it was like I was dependent on, on the escapism. So, mm. so go uh, like coming off the drink and drugs and going, yeah, I can do a bit of time. I, I don't have a problem. I can do what really set in was when I realized you will never be able to escape life again. Yeah. When shit gets hard. So I'm like, I've got no desire to drink or use drugs again, but 
I just, the only thing that scares me is if something really bad happened in my life that I had to escape. I mean, how mm. would I escape? So that's why I box every morning because yeah. I'm like, I, you know, and spar and stuff like that. I'm like, you know, and do the cold water dips. I'm like, this is horrific and you can't escape it. So I try and build that mental resilience. You know what I mean? Yeah, the thing is, this is this is where a lot of people get it wrong. And this is where I got it wrong in, in, the, in the start because I was trying to fix the old habit. Right. Now you can't go back to fixing a problem with the same energy you you attracted yeah. it. You know what I mean? So for me, it's like instead of people going back to try and fix the problem, you have to create something in front of you that, that doesn't want to be more powerful. So so instead yeah. of worrying about what what am I going to do when I want to escape? Yeah. Never want to escape. Never want to escape and also start to value how good you're feeling, how healthy yeah. you're feeling yeah. and understanding that I'm not going to drink. I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to yeah. do this. You point another, th- and that that when people want to make take that first step, I think it's. I can remember that first Friday night. You know what I mean? And my phone's going off, and it's like, and I started to panic, thinking of. I started to realize in that moment of how much alcohol was consuming my life because there were so many gaps missing when I decided to stop. Yeah. It's but scary. then in a very short space of time, I was filling stuff in those gaps. And then before I knew it, I was going, how did I ever get time to drink? Yeah. You know, when I was building my business and stuff like that, I was in on a Friday night when I'd be down the pub, or even a Thursday night when I'd be down the pub, I was in the office doing stuff. And I was like, I would not, I always reflect on that now. It's like a lot of the situations I'm in, I'm like. This never would happen if I was never, drinking, never. It never would happen. And like in the social situations where I've been in this weekend, you know, I look at that and I, I consider myself when I was back drinking and think how how different not better, mm. but how different and destructive it would have been, mm. you know. So I think it's it's extremely powerful. And the big thing for me, and I think this is this is one thing for me that I cannot stand. I was alcohol's bitch. Yeah, you know what I mean. And I cannot have something like that that's in in control of me. Mm. You know what I mean. And when 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 I broke the chains of that, that was more. Forget the alcohol. It was knowing that something was more powerful than me and controlling me. And I, I was I was alcohol's bitch, and I couldn't handle that. Yeah. You know, so when I put myself in the driving seat of my life and my destiny, that was the most powerful thing ever. And that then made me realize that anything in my life I can, I can, I can escape from. I can, you know, and people are out there. You mentioned it before. People are pornography, um, you know, drugs, anything, whatever that addiction is, money. Um, if you're not in the driving seat, you're the victim. Yeah. You know what I mean? It, it's something that you need to put yourself in control of. That's such a good perspective because that, instead of feeling weak, that puts fire in your belly. Yeah, one hundred percent. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah. you can look at it and go, "I need this; it helps me." You can look at it and go, "This, I'm its bitch." Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. And that's and you can relate to that. Yeah. I can relate to yeah. that. You are you're its, you're its bitch. Yeah. It, it tells you where it wants you to be. Yeah. It tells you what to do, and it tells you yeah. where to fucking waste all your money and all your all your you know your good opportunities in life. There's definitely a time. I know we got to wrap up. I'm very conscious, John. But there's definitely a time where I went from going, oh fuck, I'm missing out. I'm missing mm. out. And oh, how am I going to get through that? And how long's how long am I going to feel like this? And I can't go and do this. I can't go and do that. To 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 when mm. you go, I wouldn't be doing this. Yeah. There is a moment where yeah. that turns. And I'll tell you what, when I come back from the boxing, because I come out and all my mates were like, whoa, going mental. They was all fucking, yeah. I'm not naming no names, but most of them was all sniffed up and, that, <laughs> and pissed up. You know what I mean? Going on and on and on, talk, talking to, telling me all about their all best fighters and everything over the years. I'm like, mate, <laughs> fuck off. But um, I got out of there quick sharpish after I thanked all my mates for coming and jumped in the car and got home. My missus had ordered a pizza because I'd been fucking on a serious diet to yeah. keep the weight off for this fight, keep it down. And I sat there and she gave me a kiss and she was just watching me eat this pizza. And I was like, what are you staring at? And she was like, 
man, there's no way you would have been here after that. I'm mm. so glad that I can uh, celebrate your win for wow. you. Like I wouldn't have seen you for a couple of days, I don't think. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And I was wow. like, that, that must great. feel good. That was good. That must feel good. Anyway, listen, before we stop. Yeah, what do you want to wrap yeah, yeah, up? Yeah, mate, like, there's an ulterior motive for his, us being here today. That's why I bought... You came mob-handed, I came mob-handed, two-pronged attack here. Okay. Um, because we have got an amazing event coming up. Yeah. And I know you're going to be interested in it. And that is the fact that Dry January happens, yeah. obviously, all throughout Jan. Um, now... We've always been conscious, and like I said before, that the fact you all you should when you when you're aiming for something you want to achieve, you've got to have something sort of tangible that you reward yourself with. Yeah. Now we believe a lot of people are really starting to focus on dry jan. Even if you don't want to give up alcohol, it's about giving your body a break. And I think the question is as well at the end of the day, ask yourself, are you dependent on the alcohol? If the answer is no, could you give up for 30 days? Put yourself in the driving seat and, and, and prove that to yourself. So basically what we've got is we've got a 10K race mm. at the end of dry Jan. We've got mentorship all the way through January from some really inspirational people, including yourself, I hope. Yeah. And then on the 28th of January, we've got a 10K race in Pippinford Park in East Sussex. Beautiful location. And um, and then there'll be a whole community thing piece afterwards and everything. We're raising money for alcohol change. We've got some amazing sponsors on board. And like I say, at the end of it, you can go back to your drinking life. Maybe some people will drink less. Some people will want to carry on that journey. But at least give yourself the mm. fact that you are in control. You know, I'm in. I'm in 100. percent And I'm. I'm going to back the whole thing through the whole of January. You Love tell me it. what. You tell me what I can do. Um, and yeah, if I can create content around it, spread the 100%. word. We'd love that. We'd love run that. the race. Yeah, and you got some. T have you got speakers as well at the end? Yeah, we've got speakers. Um, we're not confirmed yet, but I think. Do you know Paul Moore? Yes, yes, yeah. yeah. So we've got Paul involved. Scott Thomas is another lad from. Yeah. Um, so there's some some really influential people coming down. So we've got those people. Also, you, the fact you can do it virtually. So okay. if you can't make the event on the 28th, you can do it from anywhere in the world. Do the 10k, raise some money. Give yourself something back. Make you empower yourself. Yeah. Put yourself, confirm that you are in control. Yeah. I'm on the team. Beautiful, 100%. mate. We got him. We that. got him. I love yeah, that. I'm, I'm listening. Anything, right? We anything. Anything you're doing. Yeah. Fucking involve me. Yeah, anything love that's. It. I, I. I. You know. I wanna. It's food for the soul for me, man. It makes me feel good. Anything yeah. like that. I've got this massive platform now with the podcast. You know, I think about 20,000 people are downloading it a week. Wow. Um, I've got all my socials. Anything I can do to give back, just get me involved. It, it's like, it gives me a buzz, man. Yeah, That's mate. Cool. And, and the thing is, the more we can do, it's so fulfilling. And I learned that from that job in Thailand. Yeah. The more, oh, well, we more can, and more and yeah, more. Yeah, the more yeah. We, in the, something in the service of others yeah. is, is powerful. Yeah. Wow, Ollie, thank you very much Cheers, for joining brother. us, man. Thank, thank you. you. Mate. If you don't thank already you. follow him, grab him on Instagram. Uh, I'll put the Instagram there. And um, wicked, man. I've got a feeling this is the start of maybe something for me and you. We could yeah, we'll do some, get some bits mate. going it's together. Been a pleasure. I really enjoyed it. That was real interesting. Uh, John, before we go, anything you want to add? Uh, that was fascinating. I'm sure there's a million more stories that we could have heard. So, yeah. to get, have to come back? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah wicked. And I want to hear more about what the spirit world looked like and felt like. Yeah. I'll ask you off air. He's weird like that. He likes all that <laughs> stuff as well. Um, 
Thank you. Thank you, Ollie. All right, guys. Wow. What a podcast. Now, listen, that was an amazing podcast. A great message in there, full of nuggets. This is the best thing about this podcast. All them analogies, nuggets of information, all of those little sayings that you just, the, the ones you connected with, sharing is caring. Get it out there. Tag someone. Share the podcast. Spread the word. And uh, give Ollie a follow on Instagram if you're not already. It's great stuff. Thank you for joining us. That was Minister Sobriety. Bye-bye. Oh, yes. And don't forget, if you want to come and see me live and meet me, I'm going on tour. The Daniel O'Reilly Outer Character Full UK Tour kicks off in January 2024 and tickets are on sale right now. I'm going to try and get out and meet as many of you as possible. And of course, I'm going to be bringing the laughs all over the UK. There's 23 dates right now and I'm adding more all the time. Hit the link in the bio and get your tickets now and come have some fun. If you're going through a tough time at the moment, please don't suffer in silence. Feel free to pick up the phone and contact any of these helplines. I personally, myself, at one of my darkest points, contacted the Samaritans and it completely changed my outlook and got me out of a really deep, dark place. A problem shared really is a problem halved. So if you don't feel confident talking to those around you, check out any of these organizations and give them a call. This is my Facebook group, just simply search on Facebook, Men and Their Emotions. It's for men only, uh, but once you're in there, you can talk anonymously about your problems and help others and just feel a little bit of community. So come join the conversation, Men and Their Emotions, on Facebook. Thanks for watching. Menace of sobriety. Just a menace. Just, just a menace. Just a menace. Menace of sobriety.